Hi, good morning everyone. Uh, my name is Dan, I'm the assistant pastor here at Tamworth Healing for those that don't know me. Uh, we're a week on from the youth weekend and I think I'm just about recovered. My sleep patterns have returned to normal. Uh, I just want to start this morning by saying a huge thank you to those that um, prayed for us last weekend, to those that came away with us. Uh, a special thank you to, to Tim Pearson for cooking for us. I don't think young people have ever eaten so well. Um, and obviously a, a huge thank you to the youth leaders that gave up their, their weekend uh, to take these young guys away. We had a wonderful time together. We enjoyed lots of fun activities, as you'll have seen from those photos we showed this morning. Uh, we spent some time in worship and some time uh, with the Word, and it was just uh, a great time of fun together. So thank you for your prayers for that. Well, we're drawing our series on grace to a close. Um, this week and next week will be the last. Uh, and this morning I want to focus on an encounter with Jesus. Steve um, has mentioned this story already. Uh, he touched on it last week in his talk. And in fact, I spoke to the young people about it uh, last weekend as well. So sorry if you've already heard bits of this talk before. This morning we've already heard <coughs> about how four people's lives have been changed through an encounter with God. And I want to look at a conversation with Jesus that changed a woman's life. It's the longest conversation that's recorded in the Bible, so we know it's important. Now, I've had a couple of conversations in my life that have caused me to change course. And oddly enough, they always seem to be next to a body of water. One conversation took place next to the sea in uh, South Wales, a place called Bracelet Bay, and I brought my girlfriend there to have a very serious conversation indeed. I was very nervous. <coughs> I told her that I loved her and that she makes me very happy. And then I asked if she would like to be my wife. And she said yes. And my whole life changed. She's always there now uh, and I can't play my video games anymore. Um, <laughs> my life was completely different because of that conversation. Um, another one happened next to Lake Garda in Italy on a lovely holiday that we were having um, together, me and my wife, um, and we talked together about how happy we'd been the past five years and how we'd enjoyed all of our lovely holidays together and how now might be the time to bring a new life into the world to start a family. And sometime later, my daughter was born and then a few years later, my son was born as well and my whole life changed again. And um, funny enough, we've not been on holiday abroad since. <laughs> uh, <coughs> it's funny how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> But conversations can be life-altering, and the conversation we're going to look at this morning was life-altering. It didn't happen next to the sea, uh, or next to a lake, or even a baptismal pool, but in fact next to a well. And it's found in the book of John, which is in the New Testament, if you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV. If you don't have Bibles with you, I'm going to put the words up, so don't panic. And it starts this way. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers, um, were baptizing those that believed in him. As Steve has explained this morning, as people decided they wanted to commit their lives to God, they were baptized as a symbol um, of them dying to their old way of life, saying, I don't want to live this way anymore, I want to live 
for you, Jesus. And that's what his disciples um, were doing. And then Jesus became aware that the, the, the Pharisees weren't happy about this. The Pharisees were religious um, rulers of the day, and they wanted folk to follow them and not follow Jesus. So to avoid trouble, Jesus decides to leave uh, Judah where he was and head back to Galilee. And then John uses this odd phrase. He says he had to go through Samaria. And he makes it sound like it's a sort of negative thing, doesn't he? You know, like he, he had to do the washing up, you know, or he had to go to work on a Monday morning. And the thing is, actually, Samaria was not a good place for a Jewish rabbi to be seen. The Jews and the Samaritans had bad blood. And it was all to do with uh, something that occurred about 800 years earlier. Uh, the king of Israel at the time had made a pact with Assyria that he broke. Um, and then the Assyrians, obviously not best pleased about it, decided to invade Israel and they laid siege to Samaria. Uh, and uh, and they, they took it over and they shipped out all the Israelites back to Assyria. And there were a few that were kind of left behind, the poor uh, and the weak. And then over time, the, the Babylonians and the other surrounding territories intermarried uh, with the Israelites that were left. And they became the Samaritans. And they had a sort of mix of, of Judaism um, and paganism. And they believed similar things to the Jews, but not all the same. For example, they only believed in the first five books of Moses or the first five books of our Old Testament um, and they had a different place where they worshipped. So the, the Jews said, oh no, you need to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. This is the only place you can worship God. And the, the Samaritans said, no, no, we've got this temple we've built on Mount Gezerim. This is, this is where our ancestors worship. This is where we need to be. Uh, and so this deep historical rivalry grew between these two. And it, it, it was this deep-seated hatred. And if you were to call a Jewish person a Samaritan, it would be this incredible insult really hated each other. So, you see, when John says that he had to go through Samaria, it's a very loaded sentence. Although the issue I have with it is that geographically speaking, he didn't have to go through Samaria at all. There was another way back to Galilee. He could have gone east, crossed the Jordan River, uh, into the region of Perea, and then gone north and recrossed the Jordan River and then been back in Galilee. He would have avoided the whole region. So why did he have to go? I think there's another reason. We're going to read on and find out. Verse 5. So, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. You remember Joseph? He had the Technicolor dream coat. Yeah? I close my eyes. <laughs> yeah? Drew back. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, uh, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. <coughs> now, if you know your Bible, you'll know that Jesus had 12 disciples. As to why it took 12 of them to go and buy lunch, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think there's a joke here, isn't there? How many guys does it take to make a sandwich? Something like that. <laughs> But he was alone. He was worn out. He was tired and apparently thirsty. I mean, he did live in a hot part of the world after all. And uh, he was next to this well. And unfortunately, it's not the sort of well that we imagine in, in, uh, from nursery rhymes as children with a nice bucket that you can wind down. It's essentially just a hole in the ground. So if you haven't got a bucket, you're not getting a drink. <coughs> and this woman shows up, a Samaritan woman. And Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Seems like a very normal thing to ask, doesn't it? Except, 
culturally, there are a few things wrong with this picture. Firstly, in Jesus' day, Jewish men were not permitted to speak to women in public. I know that's very sexist. I know that's not very modern. That's not how we do things these days. But back in Jesus' day, it was the case. In fact, some Jewish Jewish men wouldn't even speak to their wives in public. It did make shopping a lot easier. (laughs) But then the men always forgot that really important thing that they needed to get. They had to go back and do it again. (laughs) Secondly, she was a Samaritan. Remember, the Jews hated, hated, hated the Samaritans. A woman and a Samaritan. But thirdly, there was something wrong with this woman. You see, it was strange that she was coming to the well on her own. It will surprise you, but I don't know a lot about women. I know a little. Um, But one of the things I have learned is they enjoy doing things together. Yeah, shopping, coffee, going to the toilet, (laughs) and all that sort of stuff. But here she was on her own. And it was also, it was the middle of the day. No one goes to get water in the middle of the day. It's too hot, for one thing. What you do is you get up in the morning, you phone up your girlfriends. All right, Mandy, you come in the well, yeah, yeah. And then you have a nice natter on the way. Um, I'm getting some stares from some of the ladies. <laughs> um, collect your water and you go back and, 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 you know, get on with the chores of the day. But this woman was on her own in the middle of the day. She was avoiding people, clearly, She had some sort of reputation, and it wasn't a good one. But here's the thing. None of it mattered to Jesus. He wanted to meet her. And not just because he was thirsty. We know that's the case, because as we read this story, you'll find out he never actually gets his drink. All right? He had a different agenda for this woman. And I think it's the reason he had to come through Samaria to meet this woman. My guess is that he sent the 12 disciples off so that he could have some time alone to talk to her. Imagine if she'd come to the well and seen 13 Jewish guys hanging around on her own. I think she'd have turned around and gone back. I think Jesus has been quite clever. See, he has something that he wants to give her. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, "Uh, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now this is, this is fascinating. Another trans- this is, originally this was written in Greek. Um, and the, the section where it says, um, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, another way to interpret that is Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Such was the hatred between Jews and Samaritans that they wouldn't drink out of or use anything that they knew it had been used by a Samaritan before them. So essentially this woman is asking, how is it that you can use anything that comes from me? Surely the things that I have touched, the things that I use are unclean. As a Jewish person, how can you use it? How can you use me? And Jesus gives an interesting response, slightly complex, doesn't appear to answer, well, not directly anyway. You see, he sort of moves away from this physical question of how can you use this jug to answer a spiritual question about how she can be made clean. And what he does is he offers a great, her grace, this thing that we've been talking about for eight weeks now. And if you've missed any of the series, please catch up on the, on the podcasts online. I, I found out a couple of weeks ago you can listen to them at double speed 
So you can get through a sermon in 15 minutes. It's brilliant. <laughs> you can just speed it up. Um, as long as you concentrate. You can't do two things and listen to it double. Anyway, um, but you can catch up online on, on, on our website. Um, but he offers a grace. He says to her, firstly, that it is, he says, if you knew the gift of God. He says, grace is a gift. It's freely given. You know, Christmas is coming up, isn't it? And, and, and uh, you know, as I give gifts to my friends and families, I'm not going to also, you know, include a receipt and ask for the 15.99 back plus the poachers and packing. You know, it's, it's a free gift that's given. And then he also explains that it comes through him. He says, if you only knew who you were talking to, you would ask and I would give it to you. What would you give? He says that he will give her living water, which is an odd sort of phrase. Some of us, I know, have got water on the mind this morning with the pending baptism. Um, But living water. Now, to to a Jewish person, living water meant running water, the sort of water you'd get from uh, a stream or a river. And to them, that was the purest water. And it was that was that water that they used to clean themselves to be cleansed before they went into the temple. So the temple is where um, they would meet with God, how they would put themselves before God. And in order to be washed from their past and their sins, they would need to be washed in living water first, and that would make them right. It would make them clean and pure before God. So when this woman asked, how can you talk to me and use my cup? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, I'm unclean. Jesus answers, I'm the one that will make you clean. I'm the one that can make you right with God forever. Now, it's a little bit beyond her comprehension. She doesn't quite understand. She says, Sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? And Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman misunderstands. She thinks he's talking about the water in the well. Jesus is patient with her. He listens and then he tells her a little bit more. He's already explained um, that it's a gift from God, freely. He said that it's received by faith, by believing in Jesus. That it's available to her if she will ask. If you only knew when you would ask me. And that it's available through himself, through Christ. And now he adds the missing piece. He says that the gift of God brings eternal life. He says, indeed, the water I give them will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Grace. He wants to give this woman grace. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I don't have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus changes gear slightly. The offer of grace is on the table. Um, So he he, he makes it personal. He says, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. What's happening here? Is Jesus being mean? Is he trying to make her feel bad and, and, and rub it in and drag up the past? I don't think so. You see, it wasn't easy for the woman to hear these things and clearly she doesn't want to talk about them. She just says, I have no husband and hopes it will be the end. But Jesus needs her to realise a truth. 
A truth that the life she was living was never going to satisfy her. Not in the way that he could. Five husbands and a sixth person that she was currently living with. She was clearly looking for love in the wrong place. I wonder if each time with each partner she thought, this is the one. This is the one that's going to make me happy, make me complete, make me whole, only to find herself disappointed a short time later. I wonder how many things in our lives that we cling to and think that they're going to make us happy, only to find that we are disappointed because we're missing that one real thing. God. And he uses the water of grace to help her swallow the pill of truth. There's so many ways he could have spoken to her. He could have said, don't you know who I am? I am perfect. You certainly aren't. Don't you know how many times I've watched you sin? How many times you've hurt me? Look at yourself in the mirror. Aren't you ashamed? He could have said, someone like you shouldn't be talking to someone like me. He could have said, don't you see what you've become? How others see you? But he didn't. He didn't say any of that. He simply shows her where she's been going wrong and he offers her grace. A fresh start. I'll clean you up. I'll make you pure. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you worship is in Jerusalem. The woman said, "Uh, Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. And yet a time is coming and is now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So she begins to realise, as Jesus explains to her um, all these truths in her life, that obviously he's someone important, someone from God. She guesses he's a prophet, someone who has a message from God. And so she asks him the question about religion, about this issue that they had, about where they should worship God. Jesus isn't really interested in the religious stuff. He says that God simply wants people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. He says that true worship is about having a whole-hearted, whole-person commitment to God. On another occasion when he was asked what the greatest commandment is, he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. It doesn't matter whether you're in Jerusalem, whether you're up a mountain, whether you're in Tamworth Elim. What matters is that your heart is right before God. And finally the woman says this, she says, I... I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to it. And the Messiah they were expecting was a person that was going to fix everything for them, that was going to make it right between them and God, that was going to restore them as a nation, was going to make it so that everything was how it used to be, them in a perfect relationship with God. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And in the Greek, it reads something like this, the one who speaks to you, I am. And I am is important because I am was the name by which God, that God gave to Moses when he asked, what shall I, who shall I say sent me? He says, tell them I am 
sent you. After talking with her patiently, offering her grace, despite knowing everything about her life, her final revelation to her is this. I am. I am the one you're looking for. I am the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am all you need. I am the saviour of the world, and yet I am here for you. I'm in love with you. I am so in love with you that I will die to make a way for you to return to God. I am, I am, I am. And you know, God says the same to each of us this morning. The woman at the well is never given a, a name. We don't know. We don't know what she was called. Um, and I believe it was a, a real historical account, a real testimony um, that happened. But also, I believe that it can be each of our story as well. The offer of God's grace is available to us, no matter our gender, our race, our history, our sin, our lies, our fears, our failures. All of it is moot when it comes to God's grace. All of it. None of it matters to him. God wants to meet with us. Jesus knew everything there was to know about the woman. Everything. And yet he offered his grace. You might look at your own life and think, well, if God only knew that, he does. And he still offers you grace. And her life was never the same. If you read on, you find that she leaves the jar. Well, maybe Jesus got his drink after all. Um, but she leaves the thing that was unclean and she returns to the village and she tells others about this man, the one who can save you. She witnessed to him. Just as these guys this morning that are getting baptised have stood up here and told you about how Jesus has made a difference in their lives, she does exactly the same. It says in verse 39 that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And her life was never the same because she'd finally found that thing that was missing. Have you? Have you found the one who knows you? The one that you never need to hide from? The one that loves you regardless of what you've done? The one who might be standing before you this morning saying, if you only knew the gift of God, you would ask, because I'm right here. I'm going to finish um, this morning by showing you a, a, a short video. It's a uh, sort of spoken word poem of the, of the woman at the well and I think it just summarises what I've been saying quite nicely but before I do that let me just pray for you guys and let me pray for those that are, are being baptised this morning